Welcome to the Aftershock. I'm Philip Leva here with Alex Morgan and Colinette and I are great to have you guys uh, here on the show post game against Nashville SC at home. The Quakes get one point on a two to two draw. That is, if you're counting at home, three points and seven matches for the Earthquakes, which puts them at the bottom of the table. And this coming against the team that has played all of their matches on the road this season. To start off, uh, Alex, why don't you give us your initial thoughts following the match? Look, Phil, I, I think this could have been realistically Matias Almeida's last game in charge of the San Jose Earthquakes after all the news that we broke at Quakes Epicenter this week uh, about his situation uh, with the front office and, and with the club. And uh, I think it's a fitting game uh, for him to end his career on because there are uh, a, a lot of positive individual performances. We saw Jeremy Obobese, uh have a fantastic game today. He now has five goals in his last uh, three games. Another brace tonight with a beautiful free kick uh, and a really uh, cool poacher's finish there from a, a corner. He's on fire. Uh, but systematically, uh, the team uh, fell apart defensively. And and uh, you look at uh, Nashville's first goal, and that was an utterly catastrophic defensive collapse uh, for the Quakes from uh, the top of the pitch to the bottom of the pitch, uh, everything was out of whack. They didn't have uh, the right organization and uh, the, the players were diving in. Uh, the, the back line still looks like a mess. And, and that's been uh, the case for the last uh, three and a half years of, of Matias Almeida's tenure is that uh, whatever they have going forward defensively hasn't been strong enough to, to get this team uh, enough points. And, and they're still bottom of the table. They're still winless. Uh, and it, it's not good enough. And uh, I think uh, this game uh, more than ever uh, shows why Matias Almeida uh, is at the end of the rope here for the Quakes. Yeah, and it's not the first time that we've seen this sort of thing, uh, what we saw from Hani Mukhtar on that run all the way down the pitch, right, in terms of players losing their mark, trying to scramble back to get reorganized defensively. We saw this with Jordan Morris against the Seattle Sounders a couple of years ago. So it's no surprise. It's no shock to Quakes fans, which is even more disappointing, right? And like you said, this match kind of is a microcosm of the time with Matias Almeida. There are some great, I mean, there are some good moments. They are mediocre at times. There are some great individual performances. But overall, they just can't do enough to get the three points, and especially at home. This was a great opportunity for the team to get up the table. Colin, I'm interested in your thoughts following the match. Yeah, I mean, the defensive stuff is, is, has been talked about for a long time because it's been the same case from the day he's gotten here. The thing that's changed is in his 2019 season, which is uh, by far and away statistically his most successful season with the Quakes was his first year there. That season, there was a really good, a lot of possession, high quality possession, high volume of passing, high pressure, and a lot of chances generated. So even though the defensive frailties were there, 
there was something to kind of offset it on the other side. Um, defensive frailties persisted and they stayed. Uh, the only time they haven't really been there is during the brief period of time last year where he shut up shop and had a much more conservative system. Um, but that what we've seen is the problem is the attack has entirely gone away. There's only one game this year of the seven where they have scored an open play goal. Um, and the underlying statistics kind of bear that out is this team is shipping goals at a, at a catastrophic rate. We all know, but the, the real problem is the, the offensive, and that's always been true. Uh, and it was kind of fun in 2019 when mm -hmm. the opposite was also true that they were, they were a thrill seeking fun scoring team. That's never been there. Uh, Jeremy Abobasi has been doing a good job on, on set pieces and, and good job lately. You know, we, we've always noted he's a talented player and I'm really glad for him personally that he can get some confidence in this. Um, but that's that's the fundamental reason why he's not good enough to coach in San Jose. And quite frankly, I think it's actually a little bit shocking that he's he bothered to show up on the sideline at all this game, uh, given that he's already asked to leave the club. Um, and, so Alex Morgan. And, and look, I think a lot of people thought that some of the defensive issues were stemming from Nathan's absence because uh, he was a player who succeeded in that back line last year and brought a, a lot of stability. Um, but he returns tonight and. Surprise, he doesn't fix any of the issues. Uh, he is really embarrassed on Nashville's first goal with, with his defending. He gets uh, absolutely uh, breezed past by, by Nashville on that goal. Uh, and uh, he is not able to solve these systemic issues by himself. Uh, and I think that points to the fact that it's not a matter of the individual player performances uh, or the quality of the players on this roster as... Uh, I think Matias Almeida has uh, tried to imply uh, speaking with us. And in fact, it is the tactical and the organizational issues that are the cause of these defensive uh, performances. I think, Alex, that to me, in some ways, it's a bit of both. I think there are instances in which there are great individual performances. We have Jeremy Abobasi, for example. I think Jan Gregush has been pretty outstanding this season. He's got a really nice touch. He provides some really good service for the team, but there are some parts of the field in which some players are just not playing up to their potential. The first name that comes to mind to me is Christian Espinoza. We saw another match in which, you know, he gets subbed out later on for Oseni Buda, and then suddenly it was like an entire, like a complete dynamic shift on that side of the field. And I just think that, uh, you know, there, there needs to be some sort of rotation there. Perhaps Christian Espinoza needs to spend some time on the bench fighting to earn that spot back from some of the other guys who've shown a little bit more tenacity in that position. But I do agree the tactical approach is not working and Nathan alone can't come in and make the, you know, the changes or provide the performance that is necessary for this team to succeed. We saw it throughout. So why don't we go ahead and shift over here then. Um, Colin, you wrote this article uh, that was published earlier this week on Quake's Epicenter. This was titled, I've Seen Enough. Why don't you tell us about uh, your your thesis here and and some of your feelings about Matias Almeida, perhaps some of your own personal feelings as well, because I think some parts of this article read a bit like a New York Times op-ed or like a political playbook, no offense, but like there's a lot of personal feeling in there as a Quakes fan in addition to your analysis as more of a journalist as well. So I'd like to hear your thoughts after this match and what's been going on this week with Matias Almeida, uh, what you think about uh, all, all the goings on around the team and especially Matias. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, you're exactly right. You know, Jamin came out with the news um, that, you know, that Matias has basically told the club he's quitting, um, but, you know, is now in negotiations for how to structure it. That's news. The piece that I wrote, which, by the way, is now open to everyone past the patron wall, so please go check it out on a quick Center, um, is 
uh, is my opinion. It's my opinion as someone who's covered the club for seven years. Uh, it's someone who has been a fan of the club since the you know mid nineties uh, when I was growing up when there was still the San Jose Clash. Um, and what it reflects is, you know, it's not just you know sometimes look sometimes the manager isn't the right fit and can't get the results. Fair enough. Uh, I thought that has been the case for quite some time. Uh, and I, I really do want to emphasize that when Matias Almeida came to San Jose, I was thrilled. And you can read, I link it in the piece here. I, you can read what I wrote at the time uh, about my level of excitement of getting a manager of his pedigree um, in, into the club. So I, I'm not someone who wanted him to fail. And believe me, I never want a coach to fail who's coaching the club that I care about. Um, but by late 2020, all the things that we're seeing right now were obvious to me, and and I, I was done. I, I I thought he was not the right guy to come forward. There's two things that have changed. One is all the things I was upset about in late 2020 have actually gotten much worse uh, than they were at the time. Uh, the underlying statistics have gotten even worse in defense, even worse in attack. That uh, the actual results in terms of points per game have gotten even worse. But the really important one is the the level of his acting out against the club in a way that I find disrespectful to the club and therefore both directly and indirectly disrespectful to the fans has increased. That is partially because he's playing footsie with other managers or other jobs around the world the entire time he's been here. Uh, he's ignored his media obligations for many years now. Uh, it's gotten much worse this year in 2022. I believe it's three consecutive midweek conferences uh, he's missed now uh, and he missed in, uh, the postgame one at Houston. And, you know, God only knows if we'll see him in a few minutes. All while, by the way, happily doing interviews with his self-selected media outlets where he wants to get his message out. So to me, this is just disrespectful to the local media, which is, by the way, exactly the, the, the team that is like, we're just trying to get you some answers on the questions about the club that we care about. He's going to his preferred journalist to get his message out and using the media. Th this is just not a respectful way to treat the club. The flirting with other jobs is not respectful. And now he's quit on the team. He's told them he wants to leave. And his real goal is, of course, to get paid out uh, in order to leave, even though we all know he's going to take another job shortly thereafter. So for me, the reason I expressed the opinion as it was, it was, is we need John Fisher to just bite the bullet and say, we know he's behaved badly. We know he's the wrong guy for the job. You just got to pay him out. You got to get him out of the club because nothing good could come from him staying. Look, Colin, if Matias Almeida wants to leave the San Jose Earthquakes, he should quit and he should resign with dignity and he should not hold the club hostage uh, for the remainder of his contract because nobody in the world gets to quit and still get paid for the job that they are quitting, that they're no longer doing. That's that's not how contracts yeah, I know, I, I know. I will say he is contractually entitled to the payout if he gets fired and he can. And the only way you can get fired for cause is if you have actual wrongdoing. So it's it's has nothing to do with how many points are on the table. Um, if he continues to show up to work and behave, you know, within the boundaries of, you know, the law, you basically can't fire him or, or for cause and therefore get out of that obligation. And so it is a matter of negotiation. This happens all the time in the corporate world where people have contracts for executives that you know need to get paid out to get let them go. The difference is in corporate world, it's just a money negotiation between two parties. In this instance, the fans of the club are a relevant party and we suffer from this negotiation. So we're kind of held hostage by it. And that's the big difference with a traditional corporate negotiation. It's, it's not just the fans though, Colin, because it's also the front office, all of whose livelihood depend on the success of this club. And it's the players. I think this is profoundly unfair to the players because they are all 
putting their lives. This is their lives is to succeed. And you have young guys who are trying to uh, prove themselves and trying to, to show that they can play it in the MLS and, and maybe even secure moves abroad. Uh, guys like Cade Cowell, young guys like Jackson Ewell, JT Marcinkowski, Jeremy Obobese. Uh, and it's unfair to put them in this situation where they're not put in a situation to succeed. And for all the talk that Matias Almeida has said about how he wants to support these young players and help them grow. This is the exact opposite. This is putting them in a position to fail. And uh, it, it's not fair or respectful to those players. And I think it's especially ridiculous because it's very clear that Matias Almeida will land fa fairly quickly in a new position. There have already been rumors linking him uh, to the Chilean national team and other opportunities. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's clear that he will land on his feet. And uh, in essence, then he's demanding to get paid double both for the, the, the San Jose, from the San Jose Earthquakes and from his next job. Jamin, well, let's hand it over to Jamin, though, just because he got in here. I'm really glad to have Jamin with us right now. And also, uh, I highly recommend anybody who is viewing right now um, to go check out Jamin's Twitter stream because there's a lot of interesting information about what's been going on lately. There was a bomb he dropped last night regarding Matias Almeida. And I was actually going to pose a question to Colin about this, but now that you're here, Jamin, why don't you provide some of your insight about what's going on with the Matias Almeida situation? Yeah, I want to make sure that uh, I provide a bit more context because, you know, this show is seen by a number of people live. We've got about 60 on the stream now, and we'll probably have around 80 uh, at the peak of the show. And then we'll, we'll have, an, you know, hundreds of people that check it out afterwards. So for me, it's really important to try to make sure that we give a bit more context than we can give on Twitter, right? And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, that has been going on is there have been some fluid there have been some fluid things around this. Now, my my sources around this right are from outside the club, but there are many. Uh, this for for anything that's ever I've ever covered in the club, I have way more sources on this than I have on anything else that I've ever talked about in the club. Now, one of the things that is not universally at this point agreed to is the financials of the situation. The majority have indicated that, uh, so, so, so just to kind of rewind a little bit, the reason he didn't show for the press conference last week is because he announced to the team that he wanted to resign. Now, initially I heard it as he resigned. After doing a little bit more digging, I heard that he said he wanted to resign or that he intended to resign or whatever. On Monday, he uh, updated the team a second time and said that he uh, uh, is working it out with the front office. At that time, I was hearing a lot of noise about uh, the money part of the equation. And so that was kind of an important, important thing. Colin, I'll remove you and then I'll bring it back when you're when you're back. Oh, there you are. OK. Um, and so the uh, you know, the money part of it was an important part of it. Now, as the week's gone on, I've heard different things. Sometimes I'm hearing that, yes, they want all the money because he wants to make sure that his staff is taken care of. Sometimes I'm hearing like he doesn't care if he gets paid, but he does care that his staff gets paid. And sometimes I'm hearing like he's ready to just walk away. I don't know which of the three anymore is true. So I'm reporting what I've heard the most of, which is that he is asking for money, whether it's for him or his staff at this point or both probably is kind of immaterial. Um, and I want to kind of set all that on the side, because the important thing is, does he want to coach the San Jose Earthquakes? And the answer to that is, at this point, no longer. Whether he did at the beginning of the season or didn't, as some reported, um, and you know whether the team has had his back this whole time, my understanding is that they have. 
Uh, they have fully supported him to try to make him successful this season. Uh, I heard the, the term all hands on deck a couple weeks back and try to, to try to turn this around and resolve the situation. Everyone felt very committed to Matias. But here's the thing, and Colin, I think you know you were alluding to it here. He's got the ability to get his story to anywhere that he wants to right now. He can he can say whatever he likes. He can say it's about money. He can say it's not about money. He can say, I just want to go to Mexico. He can he can say that I don't even know what my next destination is. He can say whatever he likes. Um, and he's welcome to come, you know, to the press conference today, obviously, and answer the questions there if he chooses to. Um, but at this point, uh, you know, what we are waiting for is a resolution from the club and Matias to make a decision as to how this ends. And, you know, if he's willing to just walk away, uh, I believe that it'll end quickly. If he's going to hold out for, for some sort of concessions, whether it's for him or his staff, you know, we could see this drag on for a little bit longer, but I'm hoping not that much longer. Um, at any rate, one of the reasons I decided to come out and say this was because it was started to be talked about like the fans were going to be put through the ringer for the entire season. This was mentioned, you know, on the athletics podcast uh, allocation disorder that, you know, Fisher's just going to drag this out because he doesn't want to buy out Almeida and it's going to last the rest of the year. My information is that it's not going to last the rest of the year and hopefully it'll be resolved very quickly. Just a if I could just add in on, on what Jamin just said. So Jamin and I do actually have kind of separate sources here. So he was mentioning that his sources mostly come from outside the club. And, and mine on this particular issue so, is inside the club. Oh, did we lose you, Jamin? All right. I'm, I'm back now. All right, cool. Uh, yeah, so my, I actually have a, you know, my, my sources hit from like what's in the club here. And I think, well, I mean, we, we both have them inside and outside yeah. the club. You, your now. sources are different than my sources. Let's be yeah. clear. You and I are not crossing sources here you're reporting what you're hearing i'm reporting yeah. what i'm hearing um and and the i'm hearing largely the same thing which is it, it, we there's perhaps some small disagreements about the exact nature of the financial issues but the fundamental dynamic is kind of something we're hearing from you know at, you know all parties in different ways i will say one of the things i've been struck by is while there is certainly some frustration in certain parts of the club uh, towards, you know, this kind of uh, this act that Almeida has been doing, it's not universal. There are people who genuinely like him uh, and a lot of the players have genuinely liked him as well. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's not necessarily racked by animosity. I, I feel some animosity, like obviously, because I, I, I just don't really like the way that he's treated the media. I don't like the way he's treated the fans of this club. Um, that's not universally shared. There's a lot of people who are sympathetic to him as well. So it's not like there's an internal witch hunt here. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's like the divorce that's it, coming. Uh, we all know it's coming. The marriage is breaking up, you know, and some people, you know, have some regrets perhaps, but I think that we're all at the point where we know we got to sign the papers. Yeah. I also want to point out something about sources because, you know, that's an important element here for both what Colin and I have, are reporting. Uh, and as Alex, you know, knows as well, um, you know, you, you're always going to get a little bit of bias, you know, in a source, right? You're always going to get a little bit of their bias and the outcome that they want in that source. And I've sat on this for several days because I was concerned that if there was too much bias in the sourcing and I wanted to try to be able to get more information before reporting. But at this point, I felt it was more important to give the fans some sort of update that gave them hope, light at the end of the tunnel, that this is going to come to a resolution and not drag on all year because what I'm seeing on social media, unfortunately, is that Fisher doesn't care. Almeida doesn't care. We're all caught in the middle. And what I want to try to do is say, 
I don't think that that's true. I don't think that's true from either side. I think they both want to come to a resolution quickly. And I think we may see that resolution happen. Um, you know, I can't give a timetable, but I'm hoping. I'm no, we just, Jamin, I just lost you right at the. Yeah, that's fine. I actually, hopefully we get Jamin back so we can finish that thought. But Colin, I did have a question for you. You've already nailed the first part of it, which was, uh, you know, share whatever you can about your sources and the, the parallels there. Oh, there we go. We got Jamin back. Jamin, if you want to go ahead and finish your. No, I'm actually going to try because I'm going to continue to have problems and I, and, uh, I need to take care of the six-year-old. Sounds good. I'm going to try to be on the press conference if I'm able to. All right. Thanks, Jamin. Excellent. Thanks, thanks Jamin. guys. Uh, Colin, All right. Sorry, Phil. Go ahead. Could you describe a little bit maybe uh, to, you know, to the extent that you can what some of the, um, the parallels are between what you are hearing from your sources and what we've heard from Jamin so far just to see if there, if there are any uh, consistencies there and yeah. any contrast that you might have as well? No, we're, we're hearing, I mean, essentially the exact same story from everyone we talk to in and around the club. Uh, I will say that I don't, you know, I'm sure that Matthias and his people uh, have a different angle, but anyone else at any other part of the club, you know, affiliated with any other element of it, whether they're inside the club directly or, you know, connected to someone or whatever it is, all of them are singing the same story. Maybe there's some details that are different between them, but I, I think that there's pretty universal agreement about what the facts on the ground are. The only disagreements really is like how they feel about Almeida, because some of them quite like him uh, as a person uh, and, you know, and admired him and want him to succeed and kind of have a sense of regret. Whereas others are are really frustrated by by the way he's behaved and and are really tired of it and want to get out. So I'd say that maybe there's a there are differences of attitudes of how they feel about it. Uh, but there's really no disagreement about the facts. He he told the club he wants to quit. He also told the club he wants to get paid out. You know, that's those are pretty non-negotiable uh, in terms of facts. And mm -hmm. and what Almeida said about uh, about sourcing is really important. Or excuse me, what Jamin said about sourcing is really important because Almeida's agent, quite frankly, is somebody who talks to a lot of people in the media. And this is what agents across the world do. So I'm not saying this is unusual behavior or or, or somehow malign. Agents around the world call reporters because they want to get their side of the story out because they want to generate leverage. Uh, and I think certain I think that it's kind of acknowledged that if your agent is constantly calling reporters and saying, hey, lots of people are interested in my client. And then it gets reported in the media. The club that they actually work at, the San Jose Earthquakes, in this case, can feel disrespected that they're putting so many people out there. And so it is a common practice. It's not unheard of. Um, but, you know, if an agent calls you, you know, there's an angle. Right. And so then that's one of the things that we have to kind of cert, uh, sift through is, you know, I had it from one source for a while this week, uh, starting in, I think, Sunday, just about. Uh, but I couldn't really go with it because I didn't know if, you know, that person was working me or not. And you have to get another angle. And then Jamin had a couple and, you know, eventually you get to the point where there's so much consensus that the facts are very clear. Um, uh, and but you really do have to make sure you're not relying on one source. Uh, I believe me, I've seen other so-called journalists just parrot exactly what Matias agent is sending them. So. You got to watch out for that. For sure. Now, uh, one thing that I, I realized after doing this like media stuff and one word that I like that you that you've used recently, Colin, is amateur, because I think like and I don't mean it in like the, the most colloquial sense. I mean, it like in the true sense, which is like yeah. you do something for the love of it rather than a professional getting paid for it. Right. And I think there are a lot of us in the media who do this because we love covering the club. And it is right. It's, it's quite a bit of a slight to those who work as amateurs uh, when, yeah. when folks simply don't show up. But anyway, I want to go back to your article here. 
Um, you spend quite a bit of time talking about prospective coaches. And one thing I know viewers and listeners love when it comes to listening to these shows is hypotheticals. So why don't we get into a couple of hypotheticals here? A couple of the guys that you mentioned in your article were two people who are directly associated with the Earthquakes organization in completely different ways. We have Alex Covello, who is currently coaching Quakes 2. He's been with the club since 2017. He's a Jesse Fiorinelli guy who was brought in during that time. And then we also have Ian Russell, who I know you've been a very big supporter of for quite a long time. Time. He had his successes at Reno 1868 FC, and he is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, currently still working with Toronto FC after Chris Armas is firing, uh, which now is under the control of Bob Bradley. So, um, and, uh, Alex, I know you haven't spoken for a while, so if you want to jump in here, feel free to, but I was going to just redirect back at Colin. Well, can I, I'll just get the fact pattern out there just real quick, uh, just for a second, and then Alex, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts as well. Um, just on the on the fact side of it, so Ian Russell's not coaching currently. Uh, when he was a part of Chris Armas' staff, which obviously was let go by TFC, uh, and as a part of that, because they were fired, as we all know, that means their contracts get paid out. Um, and so that means for this year, uh, he's still you know getting paid out of TSC contract, but that means he's available. Um, you know he could he could walk into the Quakes uh, tomorrow. With every single negotiation, there are wrinkles. You know I don't have anything else further to report on that, but you know uh, Ian Russell is available. Alex Covello, already under contract with the club. Uh, so both of them have a pretty free and clear run. Um, I will say uh, those are the two names we've heard the most. There is a possibility that an interim manager could be other than those two. Uh, but I think that it would be a very heavy favorite for one of those two to get the job. Um, and I think that that's what the club has been looking into. I've heard possibilities that vary outside those, but I'd say those are the overwhelming favorite over the field at this point. Um, Alex, do you have anything you want to say about the successors, by the way, what you think of them, who you like? And just a quick thing here before you uh, give your, your point of view here, Alex, we are going to have Nathan and Jeremy Abobasi in the press conference. No word yet on whether or not we will be getting Matias Almeida. It sounds like we will not be getting Matias Almeida. We just heard from the team uh, that he's currently addressing uh, the squad. So hopefully we can get some insight into uh, what he's been saying to the team and, and what the, the dialogue has been like in the locker room. But uh, it appears that Matias Almeida... Uh, unsurprisingly, I should say, will not be joining us uh, later today. Uh, and look, I think that uh, Hugo Perez, Ian Russell, Alex Cavello are clearly the top three candidates at, at this point. Uh, and uh, I, I think that if I had to express a preference, I would want a, a coach uh, who is aware of how uh, this organization works. And I think that uh, no coach is, is more aware of that than and, and has the right experience than, than Ian Russell. So uh, for me, I think Ian Russell would be the, the, the top choice at this point. Uh, but uh, I, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the fans might also want to see a, a coach who has, uh, you know, fresh experience, who brings a different perspective. Uh, and uh, look, Matias Almeida, when he came to San Jose, was a, a, an incredibly exciting hire. And uh, I, I think it's a little bit unfortunate how his situation here is, uh, ending on such a sour note, because I think it um, shields the fact that hides the fact that he was uh, a, a big step forward. Bringing him to San Jose was a big step forward for the profile of this organization. Uh, and we were all excited about his hiring uh, when he got here. And in a lot of ways, he's raised the profile of this club. And, uh, you know, he's, he's done, I think, a phenomenal job with a lot of the young players uh, like Jackson Ewell. And he's had a lot of positive memories in San Jose. Uh, and I think that, uh, it, it, the fans would probably appreciate or, or be more excited about uh, bringing in a coach from outside uh, uh, MLS or from a, a higher profile coach like that. Uh, and 
Uh, I'm not sure if that's the direction that uh, the, the club is ready to head in at this point. So I think it's an open question. Let me let me uh, provide a, a more of a specific direction for you to go here, Colin, unless you have something else you want to say. And that is uh, you do have experience watching Ian Russell, perhaps even analyzing him when he was coaching at Reno 1868 FC. Uh, and he had his successes there. I mean, they were one of the best teams in USL at that time under his uh, management and direction. I'm curious as to what your thoughts are about what kind of tactical approach he would bring to the team and what will we see from the players in the team should we get a coach like Ian Russell? Um, yes, I'm going to, I mean, I'll dig into the Reno experience. The, the short version of the Reno experience is I loved watching that team for four years. Um, it was never the most talented team in USL, uh, per se, uh, but they always had a, a really good track record. It was very solid and consistent. And I think that's one of the things that was nice. Uh, the other thing was that it was attractive football when they were attacking. Um, the, the fundamental tactical setup that he used the most was actually a 4-4-2 diamond, a, a kind of a narrow 4-4-2 diamond. I actually think it particularly worked well because the Reno Stadium was in a baseball field and therefore it was actually a slightly narrower pitch uh, than you're going to see in a lot of places. So it probably suited its strength. But he's a very tactically flexible manager. And I think that's an important thing to note is uh, I, I don't think he would have any problem adapting his tactics and his approach to the personnel. Uh, rather than the other way around. And we obviously saw the, the shortcomings of someone who's tactically dogmatic uh, with Almeida. Uh, Ian Russell has that 4-4-2 diamond in his pocket, but I don't think that's his only his only card to play. Um, the only thing that I would mention here as well, I don't know if we're going live live to the press conference there. Uh, the only thing I mentioned as well is you'll hear Russell and Covello out of my mouth because I've heard those names from inside the club in my sources. You're going to hear a lot of other names out there um, there, but like be, be a savvy media consumer here as a fan of the club. Those other names may possibly have some linkage, but anytime there's a coach opening, agents are calling media people and telling them yeah, things. You know, <laughs> right. Yeah. Hugo Perez is, is a great manager. Uh, you know, I, I think he's you know, done something really cool in El Salvador. I've heard that in the media. I just haven't heard it from the club. Uh, you know, I've heard Santiago Solari actually is somebody who, you know, might get pushed on the club. Uh, you know, Eric Winelda throws his hat in the ring for every open vacuum, you know, managerial spot that's out there. So you, you'll hear these things because people will, you know, throw their hat in the ring. Um, the only two that I've heard from inside the club are those two. And let's be very clear right now. That's what they're thinking about is not who is our coach for the next five, 10 years. They're trying to think of who is our coach against Seattle next weekend. Uh, or maybe if Matias hangs on, you know, maybe it's a week after that. They want somebody who can be on the touchline quickly. Uh, and so they're thinking in terms of an interim coach, at least for now. Uh, and so that's why I would say they like Luchi Gonzalez, but Luchi Gonzalez is not going to be on the touchline on Saturday, most likely. Um, so what they're looking for is an interim coach. And the two names that keep coming up are Covello uh, and Ian Russell. Covello, by the way, I know that the fans are I, – I, I really like Ian Russell. I'm a fan. Um, but Cavello is a very bright, uh, really bright soccer mind. Uh, he's a Spaniard, came from uh, the Barcelona system. Jesse Fernelli brought him over. And everyone in the club regards him as extremely bright. He does not have a lot of high-level managerial experience, which is why I think I would prefer Ian Russell. Uh, but he's not a bad manager, and he would not be a bad interim. Because, again, we're talking about an interim here. In the long run, we're talking about a permanent manager. It's a slightly different set of conditions. They'll have more time to work on it. Uh, the, the universe of names will get larger. Um, but for the interim manager, I think the universe is going to be pretty small. Any uh, any additional thoughts there, Alex, regarding the management or perhaps uh, any like hypotheticals regarding where the direction is going to go tactically uh, around the team? Look, I think that 
this squad is a squad that I'm really excited about and I think has a lot of potential. And I think that uh, we'll all be surprised by the uh, what this team can do uh, in a different environment in the locker room and with a, a different tactical system. Uh, and so I'm really optimistic about the future of this team. I think that they're in a, a tricky situation right now because of the nature of the situation. They need uh, an interim coach on such short notice. Um, you know, usually uh, in these situations, uh, if the team has, has fired a coach, they already have someone in line. They're able to plan that out in advance, but they don't have that uh, luxury right now of time and of advanced planning. Uh, and so that puts them in a difficult situation in the short run. Uh, but in the long run, I'm excited uh, about the possibilities here because I think that this roster has been built incredibly well. Uh, and I think that uh, you know, if they bring in the right manager, that uh, this could turn around the, the fortunes of the club and, uh, and uh, you know, even, uh, you know, they're bottom of the table right now, but we're still only seven games into the season. Uh, and if they can uh, pull, pull off this move successfully, then we could see them still challenging for the playoffs, I think. Okay, that's actually a pretty good segue into something I wanted to talk about here. Now, Colin, in your article, you referenced some tweets by Sam Stedgeschool and which he's talking about uh, the direction that he thinks the season's going to be going into. Alex, it kind of sounds like you're, you have a little bit more optimism as to how things could be turned around under the right management. I don't know that a lot of Quakes fans feel the same right now, and I think uh, Sejko actually uh, makes a point that a lot of people would agree with. I'm just going to read off the tweets, and then um, I'll, I'll send it either back over to you, Alex, if you want to respond directly, because I think this isn't in contrast to what you just said, but I'm also interested, Colin, to, uh, as to what you think about this as well seeing as how you included it in your article so the tweet says worst part is it's not even an unjustifiable strategy by san jose it's not like struggling this season will have huge consequences they'll miss the playoffs again they won't draw fans again status quo let almeida walk after the year at no cost and start fresh in 2023 and then he quickly follows that up with I find that approach wildly offensive, and as mentioned, it is completely unfair to the players on the roster and the existing fans. But fact is, the Quakes wouldn't lose much by taking it. They'd probably, they'd probably be out seven figures if they fire Almeida, and so here we are. So quite a contrast as to, as to your thoughts there, Alex. What do you think? I mean, there are layers to this situation, Phil, because you have the immediate tactical situation who is going to be managing next weekend how the quakes are going to play next weekend that situation seems dire you have the the next level which is the the roster construction uh, and the management of the team in the technical operations and that's where i'm fairly optimistic in that sphere and then you have the existential questions that i think sam's referring to in that tweet about the direction of the club within the context of the league and the growth of the league uh, and that i think is also pretty dire because uh, there's a lack of accountability for the owners, for John Fisher. Uh, there's a lack of engagement and uh, motivation, uh, at, at least demonstrated. Uh, and uh, look, a lot of things are happening behind the scenes that I think fans can be excited about. You have uh, rumblings about a new training facility that are positive. You have uh, you know, updates to the club's infrastructure. And so a lot of those things uh, behind the scenes, I think, are, are positive. Uh, but I, I still think it's hard to argue with Sam's point that uh, there is no urgency. There's no uh, motivation to, to get immediate success uh, from the, the ownership. And, and that's unfortunate for the fans because it can uh, leave them in purgatory and in these uh, long, uh, long waiting periods. And, and uh, I, I, I agree with Sam that that is uh, an unfortunate, frustrating approach. Uh, but I think that that's a, 
a reality that's going to be difficult to change. I think that's just the paradigm in which uh, the Lee and the Quakes exist right now. And, and I'm especially interested, Colin, in your thoughts here, because you did kind of lay this out there, and I, I feel like there wasn't a definitive uh, position that you took on whether or not, you know, the team could find more success, you know, in the season itself, unless I misread it. You know, you can correct me if I'm wrong. One thing you did say in your article, if Leach gives himself, this is a quote, if Leach gives himself until the next offseason to scour the globe for the next manager, I'm sure he'll be able to find someone at least worthy of the shot. And so it's kind of like, well, there is time for the club to find success with who they have signed right now, who they're going to bring back next season. Um, but the question remains, is there still time this season for a manager to come in and, and make a positive effect on this team? I, I don't have any optimism for this season. And, and in fact, I would openly write this season off. I think that, you know, when it, it, three points from seven games is a deep hole to dig yourself into. And this team is not like an underachieving powerhouse. Uh, that, you know, just needs to get a little bit, you know, sharper up in gear, which, by the way, is all the situations Almeida has been best in in his life is when he's come into a very large, extremely wealthy club that had been become a little bit dysfunctional. And then he kind of switched the psychology. He helped kind of rally the troops and get them to kind of grow in a better direction. Uh, that's not the situation we're in right now. We need to kind of build from the ground up. I would use this season to build from the ground up. I have a very high opinion of Chris Leach uh, and, and what he's done in uh, the, the roster construction over the last six plus months uh, that he's been in charge of it. I think it's been a, a significant improvement on what we saw under Joseph Pirinelli. Uh, and there's, they made some investments in the, in the back office that you, you guys will hear about in the coming weeks when it comes out to be announced. But like they're, they're moving in the direction of like a serious club. Um, this, the roster construction, that all gives me a lot of reason for optimism. But that's not going to be this year. The other thing is we have some good young players that I quite like. I think that I mean, look, Usini Buddha, that guy, that guy looks like he could be a real player in this league. Um, and I think that I would love to see a coach who um, is, is freed from any burden to try to win the next weekend and say, hey, look, what we want you to do for the rest of this season is build towards the future. And, you know, get Usini Buddha firing, get, you know, Kate Cowell firing, get Benji Kikanovic when he comes back, you know, sharpen up his game. You know, let's you know, continue building up Jeremy Abobasi's con, uh, confidence. Uh, yeah, everything like each player, there needs to be more of a focus on individual development because so many players have gone backwards or plateaued in recent years under Almeida. And there's been an effect where a lot of guys look, they actually improve their games when they first get under Almeida's wings because uh, he seems to be really good at fixing um, kind of, I would say, psychological blocks that players have. If they lack confidence or if they're, you know, they're, they've lost focus. He is really good at getting people to buy back into the, his system and his, uh, his belief system to get their confidence back, whatever. But the tactical and technical development is completely stalled. You know, Jackson, Jackson Ewell has gotten worse every year rather than better. Uh, Christian Espinosa looks like a shell of himself. Uh, you know, we've seen, and Cade Cowell hasn't really made much technical or tactical progress since 15 years old. Um, this is a problem. You know, this is what we got to focus on. I would write off this season. I would say, let's focus on developing this young core that we have here um, and, you're not going to get in the playoffs this year. The, the way that we have Nashville in this Western conference, only seven teams make it out of 14. It's a long road back. 538 has our odds at I think it's 10% now. Um, you know, this is, that's a very long shot to continue playing veterans who are not going to be with the program in the long run. So that's what I would do. 
I think it's I'll still way too early. I, <laughs> I, I completely disagree, Phil. Phil, I'll leave it to you, but completely disagree. I think it's it's way too early to write this season off. It's still April. We're seven games in. Uh, the Quakes are only eight points back, and that's a lot of ground to make up. But they have more just than to, enough time. Just to, to clarify, seven games is twenty percent of the season in. And I think that's more than more than enough time left. They have eighty percent, the majority, the vast majority of this season left, Colin. And I think that this team has the talent. And I think that the weight of of Matias Almeida's situation psychologically and and the 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 tactical framework within their working, uh, it, it's going to be. Uh, I think it's it's hard to 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 picture what this team could do uh, outside of that uh, once that that uh, weight is lifted. And I, I I think that I'm I'm not willing at this point to. To, to give up hope on this team and, and, and optimism that this team can succeed with a new manager. Yeah, I got to agree with Alex here. I just think that one thing that Matias does really well, and I've repeated this a couple of times, is he has uh, a knack for getting, like, galvanizing his players around a, a common goal. Uh, they play for each other, right? I think the only impediment here is himself. So it's like if you get him out of the way, there might actually be a chance for this, this team to do something. Um, and so... I just think that with an, another coach at the reins, I think we're going to see something different out of this team. I'm, I'm not saying that they're going to shoot up the table, but we're talking about a league in which, what, seven in the conference, seven teams have an opportunity to to play in the playoffs. So I still think the playoffs are within grasp. Do I think the Quakes are going to win the Supporters' Shield or MLS Cup? No, probably not U.S. Open Cup either, which is something else that we need to talk about because they do have a game coming up really soon against Bay City's F FC, who just upset Monterey. Um, and, and their match in the U.S. Open Cup. But I do think that there is a lot here in this court. You guys have, you guys have said this throughout the show. There is a lot of talent. It's just like a, some misdirection and some tactical goofs that have been occurring throughout the season. The best example from today was the Hani Mukhtar goal, right? It's like you just can't allow those things to happen in a Tier 1 soccer club and in a league like Major League Soccer. It's, it's, a, it's a complete embarrassment and inexcusable. But I think with a better... I shouldn't necessarily say better with a different coach at the reins of this team. I think that talent can be harnessed and this team really has an opportunity to, to accomplish something. I don't think it's a throwaway is what I'm saying. So just in short, there is something still for this team to achieve. And yes, Colin, 20% does seem like quite of a bit, but I love that Alex turned it around really quickly and said, yeah, but the, <laughs> the opposite side of it is that there's still 80% left of the season to play. So there's a lot of time left for the team. And, and, and look, I, I think that uh, it's a matter of treating the players with respect and, and all the people that put you know, work and effort into making this team succeed, uh, to have faith in them and to have optimism uh, in their ability to, to turn things around. Because this is a motivated, uh, young core of players who I think are more than capable of rebounding from this fairly quickly. Uh, and and I, 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 I think that uh, if you give up on on the season in April, I, I don't think uh, that that's a, a healthy thing to do. I think if you if you have a club uh, that is motivated and optimistic, I think the expectations of them should be higher. So I, Just I think it's a matter of, uh, of expecting this. I, I think we should expect the Quakes to to set that as their goal at this stage of the season. Yeah. Uh, so just to be clear, because you guys have responded to my comments for a couple of minutes there. I'm not saying this is what the coach should walk into with the psychology and the mindset. I'm answering for what the fans should expect. The fans should be, be honest with themselves. There's a 10% shot of mission, uh, hitting the playoffs this year. Even if they get it all together, you know, there it's still going to be an outside chance that they're ever going to make it. So as a fan, I wouldn't put your hope in that. As a coach, 
Ian Russell, when he gets in here, his mandate should be improve the quality of the play on the field immediately. That'll be easy because he'll just change the defensive system. And that will, you know, it will be a couple weeks before we see better defensive results. The second mandate will be like, give some real, spend some real effort on growing that younger generation of players. I think those two things in and of themselves will lead to better results the rest of the season than Matias Almeida would be capable of on his own. I don't think that there's, st- I still don't think they're going to make the playoffs, even with those things. Um, by the way, Phil, I, I'm going to track back to the other thing that you were asking about, about Sam Stashkal's, uh argument, basically, that the Quakes are, you know, very happy to kind of, you know, plod along and doggy, doggy paddle and cash the checks while things go in. There is actually something really important for fans to understand here about the economics of Major League Soccer, um, which is, it, it, think of it uh, in some ways is, if you have a, a crappy, decrepit apartment building in a very hot part of town, is a lot of times it actually makes more sense to just sit on it and let it fall apart uh, and sell it once the market, you know, eventually, you know, hits the point where you, you know, sell it. You sit on a, a troubled asset and let somebody else take care of it and redevelop it. What I mean is the San Jose Earthquakes have one of 28 franchise licenses in Major League Soccer. We know that they're never going to go above. 32 maybe so you have prime real estate and the growth of the franchise values in this league has been explosive over the last 10 years we've gone from a place where the expansion fees were 50 million a year 10 years ago to now they're 300 million so what we know is that they are a hot they're sitting on hot real estate what's on top of the real estate actually doesn't matter right you still have that slot to even have the right to play in the league has a lot of value something changed though which is the TV deal that everyone was banking on for 2022 to change the fundamental dynamics of the sport to be, you know, to double the size of their existing TV deal to bring massive riches into major league soccer isn't going to happen. They're going to get a TV deal of basically the same value as their old one. And so the growth is going to cool off. And I think that's going to change what San Jose has to do to be successful. And it's going to change the economics where you can't just sit on a crappy asset. They're actually going to have to improve their asset for their own sake. And they're going to get more pressure from the league to improve their asset because the league needs these teams to be more competitive and to play better. However, I just think based on everything I've talked, everyone I've talked to within the club, they've already kind of pivoted that mindset. Think about the staff that was on the roster in 2015. Think about who was in the back office in 2015 versus today. It's unrecognizable. Uh, You know, they're again, you'll hear about it in coming weeks, but the investment they've made in their front office is big. Uh, the they have a lot of you know capable talent in there. The the Dominic Kinnear, his best pl- or his highest paid player was Innocent Emahara, right? Then immediately after he leaves, we get Vaku Kazaishvili, and now we have three full, legitimate, complete, unambiguous DPs in the club. That's never happened before in San Jose. So right now we're all trending in the right direction. We're getting this potentially the Santa Clara County Fairgrounds for a facility that they've been working on for um, at least eight years, as far as I'm aware. You know, there are some things headed in the right direction here. The, the, the question is, is the Matias Almeida show like getting in the way of that project or is it just going to continue being mediocrity? Right now, I would bet my money that a competent manager would allow them to do better than they've been doing right now and that there is reason to be optimistic over the long run. But I could be wrong. Colin, I think we can dig in here a little bit more because I just heard word from the uh, Quakes uh, media team that there is uh, no imminent plans to start this press conference anytime soon. I think we're in here for the long haul. Uh, Matias Almeida has been addressing this team now for 
upwards of a half an hour. Uh, so uh, very curious what is happening inside of that locker room. Uh, the plans are to speak uh, to Jeremy Abobasi uh, and Nathan, uh, and hopefully we'll get more insight from them uh, when they come. But it could be a little while longer here. So what is the over-under then on uh, Matias Almeida simply walking right out and announcing his resignation for this team? I think it might take a couple more days based on everything I've heard, but I'm sure he's not going to speak to us today. Wow. Alex, any thoughts? Any other thoughts? Around I mean, Matias Almeida, direction of the team coaching? I think I, I, I think I also disagree with, with Colin about what the fans should expect from this team. I think the fans should always expect that this team competes and should expect that this team has the goal of making the playoffs. I think that to expect anything less uh, is insulting. And I, I think that uh, that's the, the bar that the Quakes fans should have. I, I think that if you're not uh, setting that goal and if you're not expecting that of the team, um, quite frankly, I, I, I'm struggling to see why anyone would bother showing up if you're going to write this team off. Uh, and condemn them to uh, uh, the you know the bottom of the table in April, right? You know, if they don't have hope, if they don't have optimism, what do we have left at this point? I'm not sure. I think that the, this fan base needs hope. This fan base needs optimism, and I think that there are legitimate reasons to have that uh, still this season and to to maintain that. This is like that question: like, what kind of a what kind of a patriot are you really? Are you somebody who just goes along with? what's happening in the system or do you challenge the system and point out the things within it and i think colin is doing a bit of that so in this sense i have to side with colin quite a bit for his realism here or or pragmatism i've heard he use that word quite a few times colin i think that's what it is you're taking a more pragmatic approach here um but yes alex i the diehard quakes fan within me still wants to root for the team regardless but like does it get better if you don't criticize if you don't challenge and if you don't have other ideas about the direction of the team so, yeah. Can uh, I? Well, yeah. Go for it, Colin. We so this gets to, this gets actually I think to an, an important philosophical question, uh, which is, what is the nature of a fan? You know, like what do fans want? What do we care about? How do we identify? I I mean, so there are people out there who they just want to root for the winningest club in the biggest league and and whatever the glory chasers, and we all know those people. And I think that if you're a San Jose Earthquakes fan, if you're listening to the broadcast. We already know you're not one of those people because you root for the San Jose Earthquakes. And so you've chosen wrong if you're a glory hunter. Um, th but there are other reasons that people care about their local football club or whatever sport it may be. Uh, the college that they went to, the town, you know, the sports club that represents the town they're from. Uh, it means a lot more than than just the wins and the losses and the glory hunting. Um, you know, you root for your local club because it represents your community and your values and, and the people that you like. Uh, the people I've made lots of friends through this club. Right. And we always joke about why are we you know, fans of this club? Well, you know, we're friends because of it. You know, and so there are deeper things in there. Uh, that being said, I think that, that actually is helpful for a front office because, you know, for example, the Michael Starry season was really painful to watch the first team. But I loved watching the Reno 1868 games during that exact same season because there were young players. There were people who were coming through who were drafted by the club, come from the homegrowns, uh, a, a coach who had been in our system for a really long time. And it gave me a lot of hope for the future to be able to watch the second club, you know, do very well. Um, I think that those are the kinds of things that indicate that sports is not about winning the championship every single year, because if it was, 95 percent of fans would be miserable every year. What sports is about is about having something that fans can connect with 
and and hope for the future. And I think that that is absolutely something that's being put in place behind the scenes. Um, and I think that Almeida is in the way of those things happening. That's why I'm Almeida out. You know, as somebody who's followed this club for over a decade, I here's the, one of the most frustrating things I was thinking about this morning when I poured my first cup of coffee. And I was sitting there reflecting on the successes of this club. And the one that always stands out to me, reflecting back on it now, was one of the biggest, like, no offense to anybody, okay, we all loved the 2012 season, but it was so much of a fluke in so many ways. And it was lovely. It was the best fluke that I could ever ask for. But when that is kind of like the pinnacle of your fandom of the club, it says a lot about what's happening. And I've seen folks who are in the, I'm checking the YouTube chat right now, the YouTube chat right now. And I'm seeing a lot of uh, comments regarding Fisher as the owner, right? And, and Lou Wolf prior, but Fisher and Wolf and, and the issues that we've had because of the ownership in the team and how that is the underlying issue here. But like we've, that's been so oft repeated. Like we have other things that we want to talk about here. Otherwise, we're just going to sit here and complain about the ownership the whole time. That's an obvious issue, right? But within that, there are still successes that can be had. And I think Colin has really hit on it here with the Matias Almeida issues. But um, anyway, I, I, I do, do want to. I want. I want to jump in here briefly, though, because yeah, I do definitely. think that that connection uh, and and that uh, community that that this club brings and that sports bring in general is built on the possibility of creating something together and of having a shared sense of purpose. And I think that if you don't have hope, if you don't have that possibility, if you don't have that shared sense of purpose, then it's harder to create that connection in that community. And that's why I think it's important for the club to have these expectations. And, yeah. uh, you know, on one hand, uh, I, I think, you know, it, it's, it's fun to say that, that, that the real wins are the friends that we made along the way. And I think that to some degree that's true, but then in the back of my head, I, I'm thinking right now, what would Chris Wondolowski say? Because Chris Wondolowski is, is for me, will always be the spiritual leader of this club. And, and I know in the back of my head, Chris Wondolowski would say that this club should not give up and that they should keep trying and he would expect them to be doing that. So I'm going to follow the wisdom of Chris Wondolowski here and I'm going to maintain my hope and optimism for this. WWCWD. I do have to say something uh, before we continue, though, now that we've kind of had this moment where we can sit back and like kick our feet up and, and kind of breathe, because we're at we're I mean, it's like been over an hour since the game ended. Right. Right. We're right around there. Yep. We're still working on this press conference. I just wanted to say that, like, if you're still here, not just as a viewer, I mean, as a Quakes fan, because we've lost a lot of Quakes fans along. the way. We've lost some of the most dedicated Quakes fans um, along the way. If you're still here and you're still doing this after all this time, like, bless you, you are family like and it's like colin said man we've made so many friends along the way and it's just like misery what what's the saying something about company right like it's it's just like those who are miserable or miserable together sometimes make the best company and, and i <laughs> i feel like that's kind of where we are right now so we had a lot of good times last season through all the losses and everything i kind of feel like we're already there right now like and yes i do still have that optimism that the team is going to get better but i'm also optimistic that if the team just sucks as they've sucked continuously year after year after year and going into the season we're still going to have each other to talk about this sucky team about so that actually brings me a little bit of joy and, and look so i think we've been talking for a long time now i think it's important now that we're talking about the fans and the expectations of the fans i want to hear in the comments i want to pose this question to the fans what are you expecting from this team this season what should you expect from the team this season i want to hear uh, your answers in the comments, and then we can we can continue this discussion. Yeah, we got a lot of juicy stuff in the comments. Misery loves company. Thank you, uh, Daniel. I totally butchered that. Um, you think I would be better with these? 
but uh let's see there was another comment about me looking like tom holland which i actually i i don't in person but i've gotten that comment <laughs> from my from my i taught high school for several years and that was like the number one person i got compared to the other one was jesse eisenberg the the curly haired guy that was yeah go look him up similar in some ways i think the jawline is what is what does that uh let's see what else do we have here uh graph Boussier. Been a diehard fan. Oh, that one's gone. Been a diehard fan since 2013. First game was Kelly Clasco comeback, but very sad. I never saw us speak. Can I get Calvin. can I get on Calvin's comment right here? Yeah, people, oh yeah, go for I'm gonna read it aloud because uh we're also in podcast form, so I'm just gonna read it aloud yeah, really yeah. quickly. Uh, people in the Bay Area want teams that win. I think we're just talking about the Golden State Warriors, right? Because I don't know any other teams in well, the Bay Area that win. Uh that's why no one knows us. The last time we won a trophy uh was like three years ago th- when I was three years old, and now I am in my third year of college. <laughs> So here's the thing. I actually think the Golden State Warriors are the very best example of what I'm talking about because the Golden State Warriors were awful for like 30 years, terribly run franchise. They were making the wrong decision over and over and over again. So, however, they had an amazing fan base, incredibly loyal. It was, the, the Oracle was a loud, boisterous venue, even when they were really bad. You know, like it, a Donald Foyle and Andres Biedrins, the great legends of the Golden State Warriors before the Seth Curry generation. People care about their teams for other reasons. I have never seen the Bay Area get more excited than any sporting event than the We Believe team way back in the day. This is 15 years ago now when they upset the Dallas Mavericks in the first round of NBA, the NBA playoffs. That was not the best Warriors team that there's ever been. We know that now because they've you know won a whole bunch of championships in recent years. The Giants were really bad for a really long time. The, the Niners have had some rough years in between their periods of being comp- uh, competitive. But all three of those fan bases have deep loyalties and deep roots with people, even through the periods when they weren't very good. So it means two things. One, there's values of a club. There's the, the identity. There's the community that we have. And there's also there's other things that can resonate. So having a young core that's developing, one of the reasons that the Warriors became so popular nationwide, there's people from all over the country that love the Warriors now, it's because of the way they played. And so I think that the Quakes can say, like, look, we have an awesome homegrown region. We have so much talent that comes out of this uh, region in Northern California, and no other MLS clubs are anywhere near us to poach our young talent. You know, we could be the talent, uh, the talent breadbasket the way that FC Dallas is. You know, we could be a team that's famous for playing a particular way. You know, we could be the team. Uh, there, All these identities are possible. We could go back to being the black and blue Goonies. You know, whatever the heck it is. People need something that speaks to them in some way, shape, or form. This club, right now, we have a, a, an embarrassing result on the field, and it hasn't spoken to us since that 2019 season when Almeida's unorthodox system was working. Uh, and, and the people really did connect to it, and we all were very excited about it. We need to get something else like that again. I think I really have a high opinion of Chris Leach's ability to do that, but that's something that's important. And it's not just important to get fans connected. Having an identity like that is actually the foundation of having a winning program in the long run, because you need to be building towards something. Uh, and if everybody's on pay, on the same page about where you're going, what you're trying to do, and you think that it can give you a competitive edge to win that way, that's actually what gets you winning in the long run. So I think that that's something that people should keep in mind. You know, the Seattle Sounders, the the New York City FC were in the finals last year. Both of them have very clear roadmaps for the way that they develop their teams. Uh, The same thing with the Colorado uh, Rapids, who finished first in the West, and the New England Revolution, who finished first in the East. They had very clear theses about how they were going to build their teams. The Rapids, it was intra-league trades. For the New England Revolution, it was actually drafting. And 
extremely good DP scouting. So, you know, they had clear development mechanisms. The Quakes need something clear and coherent. So I just wanted to have the GM and the coach on the same page. Uh, and I want them both to be good. <laughs> I, I think this is not a really interesting point of comparison between Jesse Fiorinelli and Chris Leach, Colin, because I think that uh, Jesse Fiorinelli really emphasized that collective identity and building a project and selling the project to the fans. And I think that in hindsight, uh, you can point to lots of ways in which his uh, roster recruitment strategy uh, was flawed and in which his uh, ability to utilize MLS ro roster mechanisms uh, was, was disappointing. Uh, but he, he really understood the holistic sense of, of what a club is. And I think Chris Leach in his you know short time as general manager has really demonstrated uh, really uh, thorough expertise and competence in terms of understanding the roster mechanisms, how to build a solid roster. Uh, but I think it's still an open question of, of whether that's something he can sell as a holistic package and whether that's uh, something that he can create an identity around uh, and, and figure out how to give this club that collective sense of purpose about who they are, what they are trying to do. And that's something that I think I would like to start to see this season, who this club will be after Matias Almeida leaves and, and what, because there's infinite possibilities. And I think that the, the young roster is a great place to start. The young core of players is a great place to start uh, in terms of constructing this new identity. Uh, but as we see in the comments here, the lack of identity was evident based on the attendance today and the atmosphere. Everybody in that stadium is showing up for obviously important reasons, but I think there are different reasons. And I think everybody has their own uh, motivation for showing up. And uh, I would love to see this club united by a collective sense of purpose. And uh, I think that starts uh, with this front office and them uh, building around an idea and a vision. And that's something that I think uh, can start to, uh, to take place and start to take shape after Matias Almeida leaves this club. Com completely agree. And I think the two best examples, Colin brought them up. Last season, what we saw uh, with the New England Revolution, when Bruce Arena just stepped in and kind of got his way and it just everything just seemed to fall into place for that team. The same thing in Colorado. And the thing I love about their approaches, as opposed to what we see from teams like FC Dallas and the Seattle Sounders and some of the teams that have a little bit more of an organic, like bottom-up approach, is that they drew from within the league, the knowledge and the know-how from within the league. I mean, Bruce Arena is one of the most successful coaches in MLS history. He has success uh, all throughout the United States Soccer Federation for multiple teams. And, um, and, and, you know, in Colorado, this was a team that brought in players from around the league. They had this, like, crazy, you know, um, just cornucopia of, like, different types of talent. It was really amazing what they brought together. And like Colin said, they all had a direction, a single affirmative direction that they went. And that's really what I want to see from this team. And this goes back to the owner thing again, though. We have heard that Matias Almeida has had conversations with John Fisher, wants to get things in line for the team. But I, and maybe you, you, both of you know better than I do, but it's, this still seems to be a little bit of misalignment there between the ownership and the general manager and the coach. And I'm wondering, like, is there any way out of this mire or are we just trapped in it no matter who comes in? So if we do see somebody like Ian Russell, who has been an organization guy for a long time, does he come in right away and work with Chris Leach and work with John Fisher and create that identity, that successful identity that we see in teams like Colorado, uh, which let's let's be real about their ownership too, Stan Kroenke, and they were still able to do it, right? With good general management and good And coaching. spending much, actually much less money and than the San Jose Earthquakes do. Yes. Yeah. So I, and, and I think I'm interested in what you think, what your thoughts are about this, Colin, because you might have more insights into this than I do. 
considering those conversations between John Fisher and Matias Almeida, whatever you may have heard from sources, like I'm wondering if there is a way forward with John Fisher still as the owner of this club beyond simply making the playoffs. Yeah, well, look, I, I'm I've had some contrarian views, meaning views that the were not popular amongst the fan base throughout my years covering the club. God knows. Um, for example, I was out entirely on Almeida back in 2020. Um, and I think that that was a very lonely voice at the time. Um, and now I think that that's, that opinion has flipped. So, you know, there, there's some times where it's gone that way and it's gone, you know, in my direction, there's times where it's kind of gone the other way as well. I'll give you another contrarian view. I don't think John Fisher is the problem. You know, I think that, I don't think he's the best owner in MLS. I think he'd be doing a lot better. Um, but it's really, to me, not the source of the problem in the sense of not spending enough money. Because this money they spend on the roster is below average in the league, but it's not dramatically below average. And some of the teams that are spending less than them are beating the heck out of them. Um, and so th that's not simple enough in itself. There's the investment in the club infrastructure, which has actually been quite good over the last couple of years um, and is kind of trending in the right direction. But then there's this final thing, which is putting the right people in power and, and giving them the space to, to do what they do. And look, there's going to be times when you make the wrong bet. He made the wrong bet on Jesse Fiorinelli, who, by the way, I quite like. He's a nice guy. He's smart, but he just like wasn't the right fit in the club. They put a big bet. They pushed in all their chips to meet T.S. Almeida. They wanted the highest paid coach in MLS. And it was a huge bet. And they brought him in. And one season, it actually kind of looked like we were getting the kind of identity you're talking about, Bill. That man marking system, you know, the Bushido code, he's an incredibly charismatic guy. You know, it actually felt in 2019 like we had the right identity. Obviously, the results became apocalyptically bad after that. I just want to reemphasize everybody. Matias's last three seasons have all been worse than Mikel Stare's seasons in an underlying status basis. That's how bad it's been. So, it, like, you can, you're going to take shots. Some of them are going to work out. Some of them aren't. The, the new thesis that's coming in is Chris Leach is going to be driving the bus. He's going to be working on intra-league mechanisms. He's going to focus on amateur scouting for the draft and the homegrowns and all that. And hopefully that's where they can find their angle. Around MLS, though, in any salary-capped league, every team is looking for their angles. You know, Colorado is focused on the intra-league market. Uh, New England is focused on the draft. FC Dallas is focused on the homegrowns. Uh, and then there's a couple of extremely high-spending teams, some of which are good and some of which are terrible, like F like FC Cincinnati, for example, has spent an unbelievable amount of money to no end, right? Yeah, so, alone, right? It's awful. <laughs> right. And, and, and but my point being is that everyone is trying to find their angle because in the salary cap league, you have limited resources and, you, and everyone has to kind of work within these constraints. For three players, you can spend however much you want. But for the entire rest of the roster, you have these constraints. And so everyone is kind of looking for an angle. Some people are going to be able to execute it. Some people aren't. I think the Quakes are trying a new angle. The Almeida experiment worked for one year to some extent and then completely fell apart. This is a new experiment. And the really important thing is about the alignment between the owner, the general manager, and the coach. And the three different groups there, by the way, are different levels of power depending on what organization you're in. So in Bruce Arena's case, they handed the keys over to him. They said, you do whatever you want. You bring in the players, whoever you want. Like, that's, that's all you. And so they've put all the power on the coach. In this case, right now, when it's Matias Almeida, he gets all the power because of his, his level of fame. When he's out the door and it's Ian Russell, the, the power seat will become the general manager again. Uh, and I think both models can work, um, but it basically means 
it's up to Chris Leach. You know, it's up to him to construct a winner. Um, and that's he's going to be empowered to do so. But there will be alignment because he's going to hire the coach. And Colin, so the coach will be subservient to him. Colin, I think you're, you're missing one really crucial and important player here, and that is the front office because uh, building a cohesive identity and, and collective unity is a project that uh, can't just happen on the technical side of, of the team. And I think that that's uh, where you can draw from, and that might be the, the origin of it. But in order to uh, build that identity and to, to sell that to the fans uh, and to create that community, uh, you need the front office to be uh, an active participant in that. You need everybody to be working on the same page. And that's something that Chris Leach is aware of. When he was first signed as the general manager, he said that something he was working on uh, was to increase the uh, the sort of connections between the different departments in the front office, because he felt that the front office was too siloed in different divisions and that everybody was pulling in slightly different directions. So in order to, to create that identity, you need everybody working in lockstep towards the same goal. And I think a large part of that is actually just organizational structure. And I think the fact that they now have a president who is accountable to John Fisher, who is accountable for the club, uh, who, who has the accountability here, uh, is a, a good step. And I think that uh, Jared Shawley uh, in that position uh, has has already been making positive steps. We've seen on, on the corporate side, so many more uh, club sponsorship deals uh, in, in, in the uh, last uh, five, six months. A lot of those have been spearheaded by Ian Anderson, uh, another uh, executive on the team. And I, I think that that is a part of, 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 of the club's identity is to tap into the community, uh, into the, uh, all of the uh, tech uh, you know, companies that exist in the Bay Area uh, that are now sponsoring the team. You know, Adobe is a recent one. And, and all of those new partnerships are a part of building this cohesive identity. So I think it's important to keep in mind about that half of the organization as well, because I think you, you Alex can't is right. without the other. No, I, Alex I, is I, right. I agree with that. But also, I think... I mean, maybe this is obvious, but it's so hard to build that identity when you don't have a winning culture. Like, at not not only do you not have a winning culture, but you have a literal like losing culture again and again. And like that is what this has become. And as we mentioned earlier, so much of this hasn't been just about watching our favorite soccer team or the team that we enjoy covering or the team that we cover. If we're journalists, it's about the people that we meet along the way, and that's kind of been like where we've been moving forward and in, in our joy of covering this team, rather than the wins right which is what people actually want and if you want to bring fans into the stadium then you have to start winning i mean it's not a hundred percent you know silver bullet every single time but the the organizations that have some of the the most rampant fan bases the ones that are always getting the deals uh or i should say they're always being played on like fox uh, flagship network and espn these are the organizations that have a winning culture someone like lafc who's only been in the league for what like five years already have that winning culture uh new york city fc despite all their organizational issues and not having their own stadium they've already achieved that as well we see it with atlanta we see it with seattle and we even see it with portland and actually i i wanted to get to this because this is really important with all the issues that are going on in portland they're fan base has so much leverage there that we are not even close to having here in the Bay Area and with San Jose. They are actually holding their ownership accountable and making some movement on that. And the thing with the Portland Timbers is like so much of, of what's happening there isn't just
just the product on the field and the ownership and the players that are brought in. It is the actual fan base. Like the Timbers army is an important pillar in what's happening in that, in that system. They hold it up. And so like, I feel like at some point we got to get there too. Now I'm seeing a lot of comments in on YouTube right now about the stadium. Some folks are saying, I'm, I'm seeing Cameron Craig here says again, the stadium is not the problem. Um, I think there is a bit of an issue there as well. Now I am, as much as I miss the Buckshaw days and how fun that was and the, you know, the instance in which we were all waiting in line to go to the bathroom and Chris Wondolowski goes sprinting into there and like everybody lets him go by first. Like there were all these cool little things about Buckshaw and great memories there, but having a stadium was just a, a really important change to move this, this team forward. But here's the issue. Um, I'm glad that, that all of it got done, that Cavill was able to step in and do his thing, but they really fumbled in my opinion the structure and, and of the stadium, the way that it's built, it's not conducive to a strong fan culture. When you go to the game, you have this entire section on the bottom that is hollowed out. Oftentimes, there are not even any people sitting there. Like, it just takes so much away from the environment, right? It's like the air just goes right underneath the, like, the actual fans in the stadium, the ones who are working hard to get their tickets and show up every time. Okay, I have a lot of thoughts on wow. that. Wow, an hour later, we got them. Yep. And by for Jeremy Abobasi, uh, tonight's man of the match. Um, so let's go ahead and jump right into questions with Alex Morgan. Hi, Jeremy. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, and congratulations on, on your two roles. Uh, I'm going to start here uh, with a question that I, I know might be tough uh, for you to answer. But I'm, I'm curious, because of the reporting that's come out over the last week, uh, that Matias Almeida wants to leave the club, uh, how the team has handled that, how hard it was to prepare uh, for this week's game, and what you think that the next step forwards are for this team. I think as players, uh, we do a critical job of keeping an environment that is conducive to communication amongst ourselves and amongst the people that we hold close, but we don't actively seek uh, reporting uh, on various topics for whatever reason uh, that might be depending on the individual. So to us, this has been a normal week as normal as any other week. And we've been approaching each day with the passion and determination to get three points. It's a struggle to drop points at home in games that you feel are there to be won, but playing the way we're playing with the strides that we've taken and minimizing the mistakes, the lapses, and maybe the spacing in between ourselves at, at certain moments, we will get the points that we need to get and we'll be a team that is feared. Uh, and and I'm, I'm sure of that. So we're on the right path. I said it at the end of the game on the PA system. And I firmly believe that. And it's not to say there won't be ups and downs moving forward, but I'm confident and I think the rest of the guys are as well. <clears throat> Thank you, Jeremy. Let's go to Jamin Moore. Unmuted. Muted. Well, for starters, Jackson came over to me as soon as 
the foul happened and he saw me moving towards the ball and he told me to take it and he insisted and you know he told the guys that were huddling up Jeremy should take it so to get confidence from you know a friend and our captain that he trusts me to step up in that moment uh, I wanted to repay that and also validate some of the work that I've been putting in uh, as it relates to certain free kicks as I was looking at the wall in the goalie's positioning. I felt that it was more advantageous to go back post based on where the goalie was aligned, where some of my teammates placed themselves to block his line of sight and understanding the difficulty and the angle that was needed to get up and over the wall at that moment. I felt pretty strongly about going back post and taking my time being patient and it came off. It wasn't perfectly in the corner, but at the end of the day, the guys who were blocking the boys' line of sight did as good of a job as, as I did striking the ball. Thank you, Jabo. Uh, as a reminder to everyone, if you have a question, please let me know in the chat. Let's go over to Carlos Eustis. Um Jabo, congrats on the, on the two goals, first and foremost. Um, how do you balance the fact that you're personally such good form, but at the end of the day, the team is not getting the results you guys want. Because yes, it's, it's nice to come from behind and show heart, but you obviously won the three points. So how do you take that personally to know that you're doing things well, but at the end of the day, you know, as a team, you're still missing that little edge? It's difficult. I think my goals would be more meaningful if we were getting wins. I said that last week as well. Other guys are close to kind of breaking the floodgates for themselves as well. I see it in practice and I'm seeing it in games too, the aggressiveness and the desire to score goals. So we're gonna, we have a lot of threats up top and we're gonna score a lot of goals. And looking back to our defensive shape as an 11, we are capable of keeping clean sheets of minimizing opponents' opportunities when I first got to this club, we weren't conceding many goals, if any. <clears throat> and there's no reason why we can't get back to that. And, and it takes one game, one clean sheet to really reinstill the confidence beyond doubt, even if we, we have that self-belief to begin with. So it's, it's challenging to be now seven games without a win. But I was looking back at my earlier starts of the year. And in 2019, I think I went six games without a win. And I was, no one would say that that was a bad team, that that was a team incapable of competing with the best. Uh, so it, you have to carry on with a, a quiet humility that things haven't been going your way, but things change quickly in this league. The team that's last can end up first in the matter of a month. And with the talent that we have and, and the competitiveness that we have, we're, we're going to get there. Thank you, Jaybo. We're going to take two more questions, starting with Michael Roberson. All right, uh, Jeremy, uh, how you doing? Um, so you arrived here uh, mid last year. So two goals in two games uh, so far this year. How have you adjusted to San Jose, and what is it like uh, being here one year removed uh, from Wondolowski? 
I think playing without Wando, without having him in our daily environment, is tough, especially for the guys who knew him well, who were part of this club for a long time because he just had that stamp on the club, the culture. When I talk about the competitiveness that we have today, yeah, that was driven by him, and, and we're trying to continue to channel that. So we're, we're on a good path. Uh, it, it's tough to see it right now based on the results, but but we're there, and, and we'll continue to get there. I think the new guys acclimate well to their surroundings, and, and as did I, or at least the way I felt uh, prior to an injury that kind of slowed things down. But amongst the new guys that we have now, amongst the spirit that we're continuing to channel when we're coming from behind, uh, we're going to be able to establish leads that we're going to protect with everything we have. It doesn't matter who's scoring, how we're scoring. We're, we we want to get those three points, and we want to get them fast and as many as possible. Thank you. Our last question comes from Paula Maruri. Hi, um, I would like to talk about the determination to score those goals and how would you carry this momentum for the next game coming up? Thank you. I think it's about taking it one day at a time and understanding that yes, results, in this case, personal results are important and are a sign of validation, but they're not the be all end all. You wanna help your team in more ways than just finding the back of the net because the last thing I want to do as a striker is be that guy that's useless in everything that our team does, but scores a goal every now and then. And I want to be in the fight with my teammates the whole time and, and finding ways to make myself and them better, put them in good situations so that they can score goals too, because we need everyone. And you know, when I was down, guys were picking me up. And if guys are down now, then it's my job uh, to be picking them up as well. So. Day by day, I think we're understanding each other better in the attacking third. And it's on us to be clinical when we do get chances because as tight as this league and these games are, we know that missing a chance often comes back and haunts you. So we're, we're going to be ready, uh, whoever's in front of us. All right. Thank you very much, Jeremy. And congrats on the two goals today. Thank you. All right, guys, we're going to have a slight change to uh, the player that will be joining us here in, in just a minute. Uh, it will be Tommy Thompson. Please let me know if you have a question for Tommy. Thank you. Well, there you are. We're going to have Tommy Thompson in just a moment. Uh, I have a couple thoughts about, about this, about Jimmy, Jeremy Abobese's response. Obviously, it's very difficult when you have a couple of goals in a match in which your team is really struggling, right? I, gosh, I've heard this sentiment echoed so many times over the years with Chris Wondolowski, right? being a, a player who plays on a, a losing team and is just so prolific in his scoring ability um, or, or in the goals that he scores. I, for one, um, do appreciate, um, I was reading some of the YouTube chat during the, um, the press conference, and I do appreciate that a lot of fans are coming around to Jeremy Abobasi. I think um, in the beginning, everybody appreciated his, like, his seriousness and his approach in terms of like, uh, how he is in the press conferences and how he appears in the locker room. But I also saw that people had some concern about that when it came to his on-field play. And I talked about this on Clicks After 90 for quite a bit with uh, my colleague Dom Skipper. And I think that one of the issues here is that it's just a matter of his 
professional demeanor being translated in that fashion on the field in a way that we see in some of the you know the, the top players like uh Thierry Henry was the all right Tommy thank you very much for joining us okay guys we are joined by defender Tommy Thompson we can go ahead jump right into questions with Jamin Moore Unmuted. Hi, Tommy. Thank you for taking the time to meet with us today. Obviously, there's a lot going on around the team this week. A lot of rumors, uh, you know, that 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 are being passed around on social media and such. Uh, what were things like for you guys? And and you know, was it difficult to focus? And how did you prepare for this game with all that happening? Thank you. Yeah, uh, guys on the team have social Muted. media, um, so we were aware of the the speculation that was going on, but. When you're a player in the locker room, you got to focus on, on what you can control, and that's how you train and how you play on the weekends. So that was our mindset, was to focus on the here and now and, uh, and do our best to prepare for what was always going to be a difficult game against Nashville. Thank you. Let's go to Alex Morgan. Hi, Tommy. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you know, from the first – seven games of this season obviously you guys haven't gotten the results you've wanted but I'm, I'm curious what you know you've taken away from these games about you know what the identity of this team could be moving forward uh, and the identity of the club and uh, you know sort of uh, as all these changes are happening uh, you know if, if the club is is realigning uh, you know their uh, perspective what what that identity could be building toward I think it's clear this team has uh, weapons that uh, are worth getting excited about. I think we have some dangerous players um, that can create chances and uh, score goals. And so I think we need to continue to um, put those guys in positions to succeed uh, without jeopardizing um, our defensive structure. and. So moving forward, I think we're just going to have to clean up the mistakes we've made. I think we've done a good job of keeping the ball, and and, and we've had our fair share of chances, but um, we've just given up too many goals and we've given up too many opportunities. So it's something that um, we're going to have to reevaluate. We're going to have to watch video, and we're just going to have to uh, to to try to try to. Uh, improve the good um, while also improve the bad as well. Thank you, Tommy. This question comes from Ted Ramey. He asks, although they've been draws, the team is now unbeaten in three consecutive home matches. Can you sense some momentum building here at PayPal Park? Yeah, I think we've came back in um, every, just about every game here at, at PayPal as well. I think that the crowd is is amazing and um, the energy can be felt on the field um, for the players every time I've, I've subbed in. I, I feel that the momentum um, from the crowd and and I think it really pushes us onward to to make things happen. Um, so yeah, it's 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 that's something to build on is being unbeaten in three games. But there's no doubt in order to make playoffs, you got to get wins. So that's what we're going to be focused on doing um, at home versus Seattle next week. Thank you, Tommy. We're going to have a couple more, uh, starting with Michael Roberson. Okay, Tommy. Um, you guys acquired uh, Jeremy last year sometime. Um, and this year, two games with uh, multiple goals. So how important has he been 
for the squad, especially since you lost the leading goal scorer in MLS history? Yeah, Jeremy's a great player, um, and, and it's clear over the past couple of games what he's able to do for us. He can hold the ball, he can run at players, he can take free kicks. Um, he's he's a weapon for us up top, and he, he's one of the players I was speaking about where we need to continue to, to work hard to, to get players like that in better positions. So um, we're happy to have him, and uh, I think uh, I think we're going to be able to uh, to continue to score goals with him up top. All right. Actually, it looks like that's uh, that's all the questions we have for you, Tommy. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Okay. Thank you guys all for your patience today. Um, reminder, we do have our first Open Cup match next Tuesday, uh, and then we'll be here again on Saturday versus Seattle. Thank you. All right. Just want to finish up my thoughts on Jeremy Bobasi really quickly, and then we can talk about Tommy, and then I think we could wrap this thing up, Colin and Alex. So um, just quickly on Jeremy Abobasi, I hope that his goals have answered the questions that people have had about his motivation to succeed for this club. And I think during today's match, we saw a lot of something that Abobasi mentioned, particularly in this press conference, that he wants to be a part of the team. He wants to be a part of their success, and he's not just out there trying to score a goal every now and then as, a, as the nine. So that was the first thing. The second thing that I want to talk about really quickly was his comparison to the 2019 Portland Timbers. I think that was actually really interesting because that's a team that started off that season without a win for, I think he said, six matches. They drew their first match. I believe the Quakes even beat them in that span. That was when the Quakes were really hot. They had a 3-0 win against Portland. Um, and, and they were able to turn it around. And Abobasi was a very big part of that squad. While he was talking, I quickly checked. He had the most appearances for that team that season. So he definitely knows what he's talking about there and turning things around. Okay, um, on to Tommy Thompson really quickly before we wrap up here. Um, Alex, you had a great question about identity. It, it really like uh, kind of went off the conversation that we had about how identity could be formed within this team and how that can lead to a success. So I'm wondering about how satisfied you were with his answer and, and you, any, any other thoughts that you may have about that. Look, I, I think his answer uh, helped illustrate the fact that the identity needs to come from the team and, and from the players and uh, how that needs to uh, start or originate from there. And, and the, the players and the team and the young guys in the roster are what create the possibility for this organization. And I think uh, that's what he was alluding to in, in his answer and how, uh, how you need to create that possibility from the roster and then connect that back to the goals and the hopes and the, the realities uh, within the San Jose community. And, and I, I think that, uh, really dovetailed with the conversation we were having uh, quite nicely. And Colin, I want to open it up to you on any other thoughts regarding the press conference before we move on to our final thoughts. Yeah, look, it, it sucks that two players who are, you know, working on their tail off of the team have to answer for Matias Almeida. I, I think that's just an unbelievably unfair thing to do. I mean, both players, we asked them questions directly related to the managerial search we're obviously not going to tighten the screws on two players who have nothing to do with it themselves. But the fact that they're put in a position where they have to answer for what's going on with Matias is just, I think, really unfair to those guys. And, you know, credit to them for, for doing their best. I think it's, you know, J-Bo did probably the more politically correct answer of being like, you know, we're just not thinking about that. You know, rumors are out there. Tommy, I think, gave us a little bit more insight of like, yeah, we have social media. We're, we're 20-something dudes, you know, mostly. <laughs> you know, we, we have social media. We hear what's out there. But you have to do your best to keep it out. Um, and I think it's probably a more honest thing. So anyway, good for these two guys for, for stepping up to the plate and answering that 
Um, and then, you know, just the only other thing is I would endorse the, you know, Jabo has had struggled for periods of time since he's been here, but he really hasn't been in good situations much of the time he's been here. He hasn't been played in, uh, in, in the right kind of positions tactically on the field. He also has, you know, missed important periods of time when he had his head injury and, you know, couldn't get enough games under his belt to kind of build up momentum. Um, and so I was always holding out hope um, that, that we would see him come good. Uh, and I think that we're now finally seeing him in a, in, a, in a good role for him and he's getting a little bit better service and he's getting a run of games. And hopefully this is kind of the, the, the upside that we've been looking for. And, and I think that Gregory is spot on here in the comments, actually, that that if Matias Almeida is refusing to show up for these post-game press conferences, then Chris Leach needs to be the one to step up and take responsibility speaking to the press. That's something that Jesse Fiorinelli actually did uh, once uh, back uh, in, in 2019 or 2020. He spoke to yeah. us in a post-game press conference uh, in lieu of Matias Almeida. And so that not should never be a position uh, the players are put in to answer these big question, uh, big picture uh, questions about the club. We have to ask them because uh, it's important to hear their insight, and uh, we 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 need to get uh, that uh, detail and in, in, in what their in, in, in answers to those questions and hear their perspectives. Uh, but to leave them uh, out there hanging like that, I, I think, is um, profoundly unfair uh, for Matias Almeida uh, to do. All right, let's get to the end of the show here. We're going to go to closing thoughts rapidly. Um, Colin, I'm going to kick it back over to you since we just heard from Alex. Your final thoughts before we close out today. Better times are ahead, Quakes fans. It might be a long time before those better times happen, um, but I actually don't think so. You know, it depends on how you define it. I think that we're going to have um, an interim manager. I think results... I actually, I'd be willing to bet an extraordinarily large amount of money that whatever interim manager comes in here this season will have a better points per game total than Matias Almeida managed this season. So I think that the results are going to get better immediately. But I think that we also have, more importantly, a better hopeful future to look to beyond that. You know, a, a project that we're building under Chris Leach. Again, everyone's trying to build a project. Everyone's trying to build identity. Sometimes you get it right. Sometimes you get it wrong. But at the very least, we have something to look forward to here. So better times are ahead. Uh, whatever your belief system is about why Matias Almeida fa uh, failed here, of course, my belief system is that I don't think he was as good as advertised coming in. Other people have other ideas. But whatever it is, we're at the end of the road there. And a divorce needed to happen. And there's going to be a new, a new chapter. We're turning a new leaf. And I think that there's a reason to be excited about what's possible in this next phase. Not certain. But possible. I hear, I'm hearing reasons to be excited, Colin. That sounds like optimism and hope Absolutely. to me. I love it. And and look, I'll, I'll just add here that, um, you know, we've been having the same conversation about Matias Almeida and his future in the earthquakes and the direction of this club and John Fisher for the past three and a half years. This could be the last time we're having that conversation. This could be an entirely different conversation uh, by the U.S. Open Cup game on Tuesday, by the, the game next weekend. And uh, that is uh, part of the reason I'm so optimistic is that things are moving quickly. That's what we heard from Jamin in his appearance on the show, that uh, both parties hope for a resolution to this situation soon. Uh, and that uh, very shortly we'll be having an entirely different, entirely different conversation about, about this team uh, and what lies ahead for them. And, and that's what I, I'm excited about. Excellent. I think I've said everything I wanted to say during the podcast or the uh, the show, I should say, podcast or show, however you're listening to it or watching it. 
today we're at an hour and 35 minutes and so i'm just going to say make sure you go over to quakesepicenter.com check out our articles we have some great writers including colin etnire and alex morgan and uh, make sure you follow us on social media at Quakes Epicenter. And if you can, if it's within your means, join our Patreon. For only uh, $2, you can get special access. $2 per month, you can get special access to our articles. Uh, you get early releases of the, the video interviews that are done. And for 5 bucks, you can join this, uh, the Slack as well, which is really awesome. If you really want to dig in and get into some serious talk with Quakes fans, including some of our folks who work here at Quakes Epicenter uh, who are active on there as well. So make sure you go do that. Make sure you go and do that. And make sure you like and subscribe to our channel. And I want to thank everybody for joining us today and for sticking with us through all of it. Uh, we will see you next time.